How many of you guys ever experienced a miracle before? I mean, a real bona fide miracle, not one of these. Oh, I was just thinking about my brother yesterday, and then today he called me from California. Not that kind of miracle. I mean, I'm talking about a real, undeniable, God-active miracle. I have, and it changed my life. It actually happened almost 40 years ago, and it involved a high school student in San Diego, California. I was working at a church in Denver, Colorado, and we were taking our high school group on a, on a spring tour. We'd prepared a, a musical. And so we went from Denver down to Albuquerque and then over to Phoenix and then up to San Diego, and we were presenting a concert in a church on a Sunday evening. And a, a high school gal came in a wheelchair. She'd been in an automobile accident, and she was paralyzed from the waist down. So there's a, there was a time in the musical when the kids would kind of go out into the in the audience and, and talk to people and maybe pray for them. And so some of the kids uh, went and talked to her, found out a little bit of her story. We were going to be uh, putting on a, a concert the next day on the beach in San Diego. One of the kids actually had a sister who had a condo kind of close to the beach. And so we were running like three miles of extension cords, you know, from her condo down to the beach so we'd have some electricity. And uh, this, this high school gal said she wanted to come to the concert that day. So... I can, I can see it just so clearly today as if it were yesterday. So her folks brought her, and the parking lot was like a block down the beach, and because of her wheelchair, she couldn't use the wheelchair on the beach. So one of our high school sponsors went down and uh, picked her up, and he carried her down the beach and set her on a blanket in front of where we were going to be singing. So we started the concert, and we got to that point where the kids go out and you know talk to people who were there. A lot of the kids went over to talk to this girl, and... So I was sitting there in the sand and I was watching them. And these kids were so, were so on fire. Their faith was just so strong at that point. So I watched the kids talking to this girl and suddenly it hit me. They think God can heal her. And I mean, I knew God wasn't going to heal her. And I thought it was going to destroy their faith and it was going to ruin the trip and so as I'm watching them there, I'm sort of praying and, and saying, God, uh, if, you, if you actually could heal her, I mean, it, it would change us. It would change our lives. And I sat there and I watched as she stood up and walked. And it changed my life. And I've been telling that story every chance I get ever since because I know miracles happen, because I've experienced it, and I'm telling you, it's true. And I think it was that firsthand experience of a real bona fide miracle from God that gave the, the courage and the authenticity to the kind of proclamation that those first Christians made about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were in the city of Jerusalem. People there had seen Jesus crucified. They'd watched him hung on a cross and died. They'd seen his body taken down and put in a tomb. And now these guys are standing up there saying, but wait, that's not all. He's alive and we've seen him. And it was that first-hand experience, I think, that gave them that kind of power and persuasiveness. Let me read you a little bit what one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, said. This was just a few, a few weeks after Jesus 
crucifixion and his resurrection. They're in Jerusalem. It's a Jewish holiday, so there are just a lot of people there. And, and so Peter stands up and he starts to talk to these people. And I'm going to le- read you a little bit from the second chapter of Acts. And I want you to listen not just to what, what Peter says about what they have experienced, but notice how the people respond. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, what incredible persuasive power did Peter have to convince 3,000 people to believe the absolutely unbelievable truth that this guy who was dead, who had been crucified, was alive again. It was because they had seen him. They had not just seen Jesus. They had not just heard him talk. They had, they had hugged him. They had eaten with him. They probably stuck their fingers in the nail holes in his hands, and they knew it was true, and they proclaimed it with confidence. You know, if there had been one person there, one person that day who could have denied the resurrection of Jesus, don't you think they would have done it? I mean, imagine this situation is like this. So Peter's up there, and he's, you know, preaching this amazing story about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's this whole mob of people out there. Suddenly this guy in the back goes, um, hey, Pete, you, yeah, back here. Hey, um, I, I hate to interrupt, but um, listen, I... I was just by the, the tomb there in the garden a couple minutes ago, and um, it's still sealed and shut. Yeah, no, yeah, no I, took, I took that shortcut, you know, through the garden cemetery area, and there, the guard's still there. I think I even noticed that Pilate's seal was still in the tomb. So, well, listen, if you don't believe me, we, it's five minutes' walk. We can all go over there and see, put these rumors to death. How many people would have believed that day if someone stood up and said that? How many of us would be here today, 2,000 years later, if somebody had said that? But nobody did say it, did they? Because it was true that Jesus Christ had come back to life. And one of the things that amazes me so much is that now it's been 2,000 years since that event, and we're still waiting for somebody to stand up and say, wait, I can prove that it isn't true. In fact, just the opposite has happened, that the more and more we learn about science and archaeology and the kinds of things that could tear apart this unbelievable story about the resurrection of Jesus, the more it is substantiated and validated. Let me just share with you a couple things that have uh, really struck me in the last few months. You're aware we had a partial solar eclipse today? Any of you stare at that? Hope not. 
You remember, you remember last spring we had what they called a blood moon? You remember that? Uh, it was in the middle of the night, and maybe you slept through it like I did. But one of the things, there was a, there was a historian, a Jewish historian at the time of Jesus, who was actually writing a, a history of King Herod. And he talks a little bit about Jesus. And in his history, one of the things he mentions is that the night of Jesus' death, the night of his crucifixion, there was a blood moon. Now, that's the kind of fact that, that scientists can tell us whether it was true or not. Because they can not only tell us when the next blood moon is going to happen, they can tell us when the last one took place, and the one before that, and the one before that. And when you go to them and find out, in fact, there was a blood moon in Jerusalem. And we know when it was. In fact, they're so exact about it. It says the, the, that moon began to rise over the city of Jerusalem at 6.11 p.m. And the eclipse of the moon started to take place at 7.20 p.m. And we know the day it happened, it was Friday, April 3rd, A.D. 33. And it just so happens that that is also, it coincides exactly with the date of the Passover that year, what the Bible says is exactly when Jesus was crucified. 2,000 years, nobody's able to die the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And science is showing us more and more that it's true, confirming it again and again and again. Let me show you something else. I love this. Let me show you, there's a picture up here. Now, you probably know what that is. That, that actually is an ankle bone, an ankle bone with a seven-inch metal spike driven through it. The spike is going kind of straight up like that. And you notice right at the top of the spike, it's kind of bent over like that. And then that knob sort of over on the right is a hunk of wood. This is the ankle bone of a man who was crucified. And apparently, when they nailed his feet to the cross, it must have hit a knot or something in the wood, and the end of that spike bent. And so when he was dead, and they were going to take him down from the cross and pull off his feet, apparently they couldn't get that spike out. And so they just pulled the whole thing, and his, his feet, his ankles, and the spike, and a hunk of the wood that was connected to it all came out. And so they buried him with that spike and the wood still there. And in those days when they buried somebody, they would take their body and they would put it in a tomb. And the body would lie there for a year until all the flesh had rotted away and there was nothing left but the bones. And then they would collect the bones together and they would put them in what's called an ossuary, a, a bone box, a box where they would keep the bones. And it was in an ossuary in Jerusalem that we found the ankle bones of a man who had been crucified. And here's why this is significant. Because a generation ago, back when I was in school, one of the claims that was made to show that the, that the New Testament and the accounts of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus were unreliable, one of the things they would say was that they didn't nail people to crosses in those days. They were tied. Criminals were tied to the cross, not nailed. Well, I'm telling you, there's the ankle bone of a criminal who was nailed to the cross. And when, when the Bible says that Jesus was nailed to the cross, I believe it. And then I believe that the account of Jesus' death and his resurrection are absolutely reliable and believable. Does it make any difference to us today? Yeah, I think so. For me, at least, one of the things that makes the resurrection of Jesus so important was that it 
validates everything that he said and did. I mean, think about some of the stuff Jesus said. It is so unbelievable. I mean, Jesus said that he was God. He said that he had always existed. He said before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, he had existed. He said before Abraham was. Abraham had lived 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Before Abraham was, Jesus said he had been alive. Wow. How do you know if that's true or not? I mean, anybody can say that, right? I could say that. Here to announce to you tonight, I am God and I have always been alive. Before George Washington was, I was alive. And you'd go, probably not. (laughs) Jesus says that and people are saying, huh? Jesus said he was going to willingly give his life on the cross and that when he did so, he was going to take upon himself the sins of humanity that your sins and my sins would be put upon him so that God could provide a way by which we might be, be forgiven and come into a relationship with him. And that when that happened, God would open a door by which we might come into a, a saving relationship with God and be forgiven through, of our sins. Now, how would you possibly know if that was true? How could you possibly know whether or not when Jesus is hanging there on the cross that your sins and my sins were put upon him, that his death makes any difference at all to anybody other than Jesus and his friends? Jesus said God created us so that we would exist eternally, that there's a part of us that doesn't die when our bodies die, that in fact God created us so that we could live eternally with him. And Jesus said he was going to go back to heaven and he was going to prepare a place for us and someday he would come and receive us to himself, as he said, so that where he was we would be also and that we would be able to live with God eternally in heaven. Oh yeah? How do you know? Okay, Jesus, you want me to believe that that you're God, that you've always existed, that you're going to die willingly, and that somehow your death is going to make a difference for me, that my sins are going to be on you. You want me to believe that when a person's body dies, that they live again, that they're going to be in heaven with you if they believe in you and trust in you for their salvation and forgiveness from God. You want me to believe that? Okay, I'll tell you what to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let yourself be killed by Roman soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, nailed hands and feet onto a cross. And when they're darn sure that you're dead and gone, when your body is cold and dead, and they take you down, I want them to put you in a tomb and leave you there for a day. No, no. A few days until your body starts to get really ripe. And then if that stuff that you say is true, then you come back to life. Yeah, you come back to life. You blow away that stone from the tomb, and you come walking out alive, and then I'll believe in you. And Jesus says, it's a deal. It's a deal. I'll do it. So I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, the world would tell us you're a fool to believe something unbelievable like that. I tell you, you're a fool not to believe it. It is the greatest miracle that God ever performed, and it is undeniable. And there were firsthand witnesses to it, and we are witnesses to it today. But I think there's even more to it than that. 
Because God goes even further in saying that that same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is available to the lives of his followers today. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you really believe that unbelievable event took place, then God makes available to you that same miraculous power that brought Jesus back from the dead. Let me read you from uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote to some Christians in the, in the city of Ephesus. He said, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That same power is so much greater that, that Paul says it's, it's immeasurably greater. And because of that, I want to challenge you to live in that power today. I want to challenge you to believe more. No, not to believe more, to believe immeasurably more. To believe the unbelievable, that God's Son died on a cross and God His Father brought Him back to life, that He blew the stone away, not so Jesus could get out of the tomb, but so that we could see that the tomb was empty. I want you to believe more than you've ever believed before. You know, maybe for you, the hard thing isn't believing that Jesus came back to life. Maybe the hard thing for you is believing that that death was for you. Maybe it's a hard thing for you to believe that Jesus knew you and saw your name on that cross and took your place. Maybe when you look at your life, there's just so much junk in it, so much garbage, so much filth, you have trouble believing that Jesus could have died for you. I tell you, the miracle of the resurrection validates what Jesus said. He said, God so loved the world you know, that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I want to challenge you to believe more, immeasurably more. I want to challenge you to pray more, to pray immeasurably more than you have ever prayed in your life. I think for me, this has been the big growing edge of my life the last couple years. I think all my life as a Christian, I was praying these little inch-long prayers, and then I saw God start to do this kind of prayer. I saw God answer not just more than I had asked for, more than I would dare to ask for, immeasurably more than I would dare even to pray. I wish I could tell you some of the stories of how I've seen God work so many miracles that make me want to pray, and pray hard and pray with faith. Jesus says, you don't have because you don't ask. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek and you'll find. Knock, it will be open to you. For everybody who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. There's a program through the Cedar Falls Library in which I get to read for preschool kids every month. And um, recently I was reading a book to them called Please Say Please. And I was teaching kids to say please. And one of the things it said that I really like was it says, just because you say please doesn't mean you'll get what you want. But big people like it when you say please. <laughs> and I was thinking, I mean, isn't that kind of what prayer is about too? I mean, if you pray, does it mean God is going to give you what you want? 
Not necessarily. But God is pleased when we come to him and make known the, the desires, the needs of our hearts and lives. Pray. Pray with faith. Pray deeply. And dare. Dare deeply. Dare immeasurably more than you've ever dared in your life. I would guess... I would guess that it was the scariest thing he'd ever done for Peter to stand up in front of this crowd and try to tell people in Jerusalem that this guy that they knew was dead was actually alive. But he dared to do it, and 3,000 people became believers in Jesus Christ. You know, maybe for some of you, just coming here tonight was a big step of faith, that you dared to come to a group like this and hope that it wasn't going to be embarrassing or uncomfortable or something. You know, maybe some of you dared to invite somebody else. Jesus dared. Jesus dared to die on a cross knowing that there would be millions of people who would reject him, who would never believe that a person could come back from the dead. And yet Jesus dared to do it, I think, because Jesus looked down the halls of history and he saw that 2,000 years later there would be a group of a few hundred students meeting together on the campus of the University of Northern Iowa who dared to believe in him, who dared to pray big prayers, who dared to be followers of Jesus Christ. And why do we do it? Why do we believe? Why do we pray? Why do we dare? Because the resurrection is true. And because the resurrection is true, we believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was and did what he said he did. So I want to close by reading to you a declaration. Because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ I just want to write, read to you what, what I believe. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, hands and feet held to the wood by metal spikes. I believe his body was pierced by the soldier's spear, and even the sun was darkened as all creation grieved the death of God's eternal son. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that his body was placed in a borrowed tomb where it lay for three days, I believe that the power of God, his heavenly Father, brought life to his dead body, blowing the stone away from the entrance so that all might see that he was no longer there. I believe in the resurrection. I believe the unbelievable story of the women was true, just as the angel had announced. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that there's no force in the universe that can stop, hinder, contain, or successfully oppose my risen Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ. No nails are long enough to hold him to any cross unless he wills it to be so. No tomb can be sealed so tightly by Pilate or Herod or Caesar himself. Were there an army of a thousand men guarding it, it would make no difference. He said it would happen. He said he would lay down his life and take it up again, and he did. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus appeared to 11 discouraged, defeated, demoralized disciples in a room where the doors were locked and all hope was gone. I believe he showed his nail-pierced hands, his spear-pierced side, and they fell at his feet and they cried out, My Lord and my God. I believe that in the days that followed, hundreds saw him alive and all doubt was removed and all fear was gone. What could the world do to them? Jesus was alive. 
I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus lives today as powerfully and perfectly alive as he was 2,000 years ago and for all time past and yet to come. I believe that he empowers his followers to follow in his footsteps, to fight the forces of evil and to find their peace and joy and eternal hope in him alone because I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus calls women and men, youngsters, and those whose earthly lives are almost spent to join him in changing the world one heart and life at a time, starting with their own. And one day, one day soon, he will come again on the clouds of heaven with an army of celestial warriors whose numbers are beyond counting and whose power is beyond imagining. And he will establish his eternal kingdom where there will be no more soldiers or spears or sepulchers or battles or bleeding scars or crosses on which men die. And I believe all of that because I believe in the resurrection. Amen.